you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 to 25. Prophecy and Tongues Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, Strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, How can anyone in the position of an outsider say Amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, 
will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You know, back when I was a primary school student, I got to live around the time where computers were slowly becoming popular, uh, becoming regular in classrooms. And I remember the first time I discovered on Microsoft Word the synonyms function. You know, it was a game changer, right? It was easily the best function in Word. Uh, but while most people knew how to use it properly, I don't know if anyone else has done this, but I remember for a particular assignment, my young self wanted to sound super intelligent. So I would write out a sentence and I would right click on every word and go to synonyms and change it. So for a sentence like, you know, after reading this book, it made me realize that the main theme was not of good and evil, but of friendship. It would become something like, Subsequently, construing this tome, the situation built myself to fathom that the foremost leitmotif subsisted not of decent plus uh, malevolent, nonetheless of attachment. You know, of course, my grade wasn't so hot as the teacher commented saying, this is not your work. It doesn't make any sense. I thought that was a bit unfair. You know, surely every 10 year old speaks like that, right? You know, but looking back, I see that in that moment, I cared more for the intelligent over the intelligible. And when we look at uh, this, this passage today, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I believe the Christians in Corinth were doing exactly the same thing. They had a bit of an obsession with the seemingly more miraculous uh, speech, spiritual gifts, in particular, the gift of tongues, where they would almost elevate the status of those who would have this gift, affirming those who were practicing it, whether properly or not, it confusing the many looking in as it seemed it was usually uninterpreted. So it was heard as unintelligible words and sounds from those outside the church, maybe even those in the church. So in this passage, we see Paul addressing this directly to the Corinthians, speaking about speech gifts in particular, uh, tongues and prophecy. You know, in this message, I'm not going to be exploring the gift of tongues and prophecy in depth as we got a wonderful sermon by Andrew Grills on Sunday, which did do this. Uh, but rather, I'm going, to, I'm going to be emphasizing Paul's explanation of the significance of both these gifts in their Corinthian context. You know, the focus being on the importance of how gifts build up the church. But before then, let's just quickly pray. Father God, uh, thank you for this opportunity to speak into your word, Lord God, and just hear from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Father, may your spirit challenge and encourage our friends' hearts today. Lord God, let it be your words that remain in my friends' hearts. Take away any words that are of my own and let it only be yours that remain. And we thank you for this, uh, this time together as we go into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as we begin in verse 1, Paul from the get-go ties in what he's been talking about over the last few chapters. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. As we've heard over the past few weeks, the Corinthians had a muddled up view of uh, spiritual gifts. They mostly thought of them selfishly, seeing them as self-serving and almost elitist, you know, desiring them, yes, but for reasons which were not so faithful to God. To the point that as we read here, many of them seem to put an overemphasis on the miraculous speech gifts, you know, elevating the importance of a gift such as tongues. And so Paul exhorts them to pursue love 
have an attitude of love, thinking of gifts in regard to other people, that there is a loving and edifying power in spiritual gifts, purposed to build up the church, not build up an individual. You know, as the Corinthians seem to love the miraculous speech gifts, uh, Paul goes on and compares the two, not in a manner to disregard one over the other or in a way to lesser the significance of one gift from the other, uh, but rather Paul points towards the theme of this passage, the importance of building up the church. So again, we look at verse 1 to 3. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. You know, as the Corinthians had a bit of an obsession with the miraculous speech gifts, Paul tells them to desire that of the gift of prophecy over tongues. And this can sound dividing, right? Like, like a jab at those with the gift of tongues. Uh, but I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think Paul is making out that the gift of tongues is lesser to those given, uh, given it in Corinth. If he did this, he wouldn't have said in verse 5 that he wants them all to speak in tongues. But as he continues in verse 5, he wants them all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Why is it that Paul emphasizes that the Corinthians should desire more to be able to prophesy? The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. <coughs> Excuse me. It comes back to the building up of the church. Again, we remember the context of the Corinthians seeing gifts as a way to build up themselves instead of others in the body. So Paul speaks to them, the pursuit of the gift of prophecy as it provides more of what the church desperately needs, which is edification, uh, and is more, more consistent with the concern for others that is the mark of love. See, Paul isn't being a negative Nancy about the gift of tongues. In fact, he starts off by addressing the good gift that is tongues. He shares the reality and uniqueness of it. You know, saying that those with the gift speak not to men but to God, uttering mysteries in the spirit, while the, the Corinthians may have elevated the gift. Paul is not doing the opposite to that. He isn't lessening the gift. It is a spiritual gift which is like the others in that it is given by God, apportioned to people he chooses. And it's unique in that it is addressed to God. It builds up the giftee, strengthening the faith of the one using the gift. You know, as Paul says in verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Not in a negative sense of criticism, but I think Paul sharing the reality of the gift of tongues and how it edifies the speaker. Paul, just a few verses later, shares how even he speaks in tongues. It would be strange if he's speaking of tongues in a negative sense that it builds up only the person in some sort of egotistical, self-indulgent way, then goes on and says, oh, oh yeah, by the way, I pray in tongues a lot. You know, and then also tells them that he wishes that they all spoke in tongues. We have to take in the underlying theme, which is that of the building up of the church. I believe Paul is talking into the context of public worship, a gathering, a body of people uh, as the church. And the reality is if those who had the gift of tongues were using it in a public communal setting, uh, it really doesn't edify, doesn't build up others uh, as the utterances in which the spirit prompts are mysterious, are mysterious, addressed to God, not to men. So without an interpreter, 
as Paul alludes to, it does not build up the church. It becomes unintelligible words and sounds to those who and sounds to those who aren't able to understand it. Uh, Paul gives his own illustrations of this in verse seven and eight. He says, uh, "If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle?" See, Paul's point is clear as he just goes on in the verse after that, verse 9. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. See, that's the reality Paul describes. The Corinthians had likely thought the opposite, that those with the gift of tongues were more beneficial to the church in public. You know, they were top-tier worshippers displaying a closeness to God, a sign that one was truly faithful because they were speaking in tongue, tongues. And while many of the Corinthians may have thought they had the right intentions, uh, I mean, I, I believe I don't have the gift of tongues, but I imagine for those with it, what an amazing gift and blessing from our good and gracious God. But yet, like any other gift, when used incorrectly, it can warrant severe consequences. So Paul reminds them, that at the core of the common gift of love that all believers have, that in public worship, the importance is in loving others through the building up of each other, edifying the church. See, tongues without interpretation was not beneficial to others. If anything, it was more likely to alienate those looking in, making believers maybe feel unworthy, distant, unfaithful to God as they didn't have this miraculous gift. You know, at its worst, a tearing down rather than a building up. And for some of us today, we may have experienced this ourselves. Perhaps we've come across or been a part of spiritual homes which have required us to have particular gifts and abilities to be included or deemed worthy. Uh, and when found lacking, we're called out or felt the judging eyes of, of our supposed spiritual family. You know, torn down, not built up. See, Paul's appeal here to the Corinthians, just as it, is, as it is for us today, is that as a church, as a gathering of God's people together, we're called to build up the church with our gifts, edify one another. And I think midway through this passage, Paul says it perfectly. In verse 12, in verse 12, he says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So for the Christians who were practicing their gifts of tongues in a communal space where edification uh, should be the highest priority, Paul says, pray that you may interpret. Why? Again, to build up one another as the body. It's a good desire and prayer to have for those in Corinth listening because what the interpreting does is essentially move the, the unintelligible to the intelligible. The mysterious utterings which are not understandable and, and private is made known and revealed publicly when interpreted. Uh, when interpreted to the church, they essentially become words of prophecy, don't they? You know, as, as we heard on Sunday, the gift of prophecy uh, is a wonderful gift, uh, best described as, as spontaneous revelation, as a spontaneous revelation from the Holy Spirit uh, of something that could not have otherwise been known. You know, and utterings of words directly inspired by God. You know, a supernatural revealing to a person that the, the spirit prompts in which our, in our own ability we would have never known or done. 
And with this gift of prophecy, something vital to it is its reason. It's to speak and build up, not the individual with the gift, but build up another person. This is why we see Paul value its importance over uninterpreted tongues in this passage specifically. A believer who practices their gift of prophecy faithfully utters, utters words inspired by the Spirit to another person, conveying the message of God to the hearer. These are words not privately kept, where only the person speaking can understand, but meant for the hearer. A revelation from God communicated to them. What they hear builds them up. You know, in verse 3, it says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Encouragement, comforts, strengthening, edifying. You know, as Leon Morris says, Prophecy then is a means of building up Christian character, of encouraging and strengthening people, and of giving them comfort in their distress. This is a gift that builds up the whole church. See, no wonder Paul tells the Corinthians to desire the spiritual gifts, especially this one. Now, again, it goes back to what the Corinthian church was in dire need of in their context. To prioritize the building up of the church. That's what they needed. Prophecy was more valued in doing this as it was intelligible words shared to encourage others. You know, were tongues, interpret uh, were tongues interpreted in this public communal space? It then does to build up the church as everybody is edified uh, when what's said is understood. But of course, while prophecy was highly valued in the edification of the church, just as any other spiritual gift, when used incorrectly, it can cause harm. You know, later on in the chapter, which we'll hear about next week more, later on in the chapter, in chapter 14, but in verse 36 of 40, there were hints of the Corinthians doing this too with prophecy, where they were misusing it, you know, likely using their prophecy gift, their prophecy gift to, to hold the meetings hostage, not letting anyone else say a word as they harp on uh, with their own agendas disguised as a prophetic instruction. Uh, we may have seen this in our own experiences, you know, people claiming prophetic words in an argument to shut down any possible voice from the other. Or to some extremes, people claiming the gift, uh, claiming the gift yet using it for their own agendas, you know, swinging decisions their way disguised as God's revelation, leading movements and cults, masquerading as faithful prophetic guidance. See, no matter the spiritual gift, when they are used for our own individual ends, without any reference to others, they become more divisive than edifying, more disheartening than encouraging. Again, they tear down, not build up. See, while the Corinthians may have had their difficulties in, in tongues and prophecy, gifts we, we most likely rarely see or hear about in our current context today, we aren't immune from the same issues. Say for the one with the gift of teaching today. He could use his gift to appear smart, gain a fan following, use words and language to sound impressive, to look the goods for selfish gain, feed his ego by sounding intelligent. Yet he isn't thinking about others in any sense. He isn't building up the listeners, but instead putting a barrier between them with incoherent Christianese lingo as heard from the stranger who's just new who walks into the church for the first time. For those with the gift of serving, maybe, you could be serving and helping out in things which are in the spotlight. You know, you, you look the part, serving the church, serving others, yet behind it is a self-serving agenda 
which is to look good in front of others, saying yes to serving at the front of church, yet saying no to loving service at home with your family week in, week out, because it's not in the spotlight. It becomes much of the same as what the Corinthians were doing, dividing rather than building up. Unintelligible to your family as they see two different people on Sundays than at home. See, like the Corinthians, we can just as easily misuse our gifts. It's not the gift itself that's the issue. It's our use of it. Are they self-serving or are they building up the church? See, at the heart of this passage is Paul's plea for the Corinthians to to have a faithful love towards others in, in using their spiritual gifts to build up one another. He says in verse 18 and 19, Verse 18 and 19, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongue. See, in the Corinthian church, where people would rather seem intelligent, extravagant, and close to God in an individualistic way, Paul's heart is one that prioritizes others over himself. He elevates just how important it is that a church uses its gifts, its spiritual gifts in love and faithfulness to edify one another. You know, as we've seen all throughout this letter to the Corinthians, Paul had a deep desire for the gospel to be made known. The good news of Jesus to be revealed daily to believers and and newly to non-believers. It's the reason behind much of his encouragements, his rebukes, his pleas to the Corinthians all throughout every chapter. We look at chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, and, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not extravagantly or intelligently. He simply wants them to know Jesus and make Jesus known. So when we reflect on what Paul has talked about here in this passage, we're reminded of the gospel how. Stephen, um, a theologian or writer, says, when gifts are used intelligibly for the purpose of edification, the result is that the message of the gospel rings clear and true. The message of the gospel rings clear and true when our spiritual gift is used clearly and plainly to build up one another. The good news of Jesus is made known. See, Paul says in verse 24 and 25 of this chapter, uh, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. There's something powerful about a spiritual gift used faithfully and lovingly. For the Corinthians, Paul values the gift of prophecy over tongues as in its purpose of building up others. Not only do believers benefit from its power, so does the unbeliever. See, whether a believer or unbeliever, when the beauty, truth and wonder of God's word is declared, there is conviction. See, for the Christian, remember the time you came to know Jesus Christ as your saviour. Remember, it might have been a word spoken through someone's faithful teaching, convicting you of your sin and need, need for rescuing. Maybe it might have been a prophetic word from a friend spoken into your life to reveal the truth of your hidden emptiness. 
You know, whatever it may be, when God speaks to you, we are called to account. We simply can't remain unaffected and unmoved. There's a call to action. We imagine back then, we imagine the Corinthian Gentile who sees this gathering of Christians. He's at the back wondering what is going on. And one of the Christians comes up and tells him that that, that, that feeling of emptiness he feels, there's something he's lacking in his life. Yet there is a saviour named Jesus who died for his sins and he is the only one who will give life and meaning. Repent and turn to him. He's convicted. He's called to account. Or today, the non-believer who walks in on a Sunday and the welcomer shares to her that, that her mistakes are not her identity. That while she may not have forgiven herself for the worst thing that she's ever done, there is a saviour who loves her and died for that sin. Come to him and repent and believe in his saving grace. The secrets of her heart are disclosed. To her, there's nothing left but to fall on her face, face and worship God. See, this is what it's all about. That people would come to know for the first time or the hundredth time, the worship of our Lord. We use our gifts to build up our church, to point them to Jesus. We edify one another in our gifts that those outsiders looking in see the beauty of Jesus, that they may declare that God, God is really among you. See, when God uses the word, the word uh, building up, he's actually using an architectural term. And what that can do is give us uh, imagery of uh, uh, this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, which, uh, which says, which calls Christians uh, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone into whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, as it says in this passage in Ephesians, we are, part, uh, we are all parts of a building of which Jesus is the cornerstone. And more than Paul, more than Paul, Jesus our cornerstone, prioritize others well over himself. The Son of God, thinking of us, came down and lived the life that we could not. You know, as one writer puts it, Jesus was not self-interested, but chose to be other-interested. He, he could have spoken a language beyond us, communicating in ways that were unintelligible to us. Yet he communicated in ways that he could be understood, making clear his commitment to us. Overcoming our self-interest, our misgivings, our sin, and giving himself up in the most intelligible act of all time, the cross. See, this act made it forever clear and undeniable that God so loved the world. This is why we see Paul emphasise the church to pursue love, to be other-interested, not self-interested to edify and build up one another. Our gifts are intended to be used to make this redemptive act of God clear and compelling to the world. So whatever gift God may have given you, use it for the building up of others. Use your gifts faithfully and lovingly that the good news of what Jesus has done be made clearer in the lives of those around you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God who is gracious, who gives gifts, Heavenly Father. 
And so many times we so easily fall into our sin to think about our gifts in some sort of self-indulgent way, some egotistical way, Lord. But Lord, humble us. Let's be reminded that our gifts are to be for others, to edify others, to build up others, Lord. You, in your grace, have called us together as a body, as a church, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. May our foundation be in him. May our lives um, and our gifts be used to point towards him, that whether believers or non-believers see and can say that God is truly among you. We thank you so much for your gifts that you've given us. May we worship you with all our hearts. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.